Happy uh, 4th of July weekend, everybody. Hope you get the chance to enjoy the wonderful weather this weekend. Uh, I'm JD. I'm one of the pastors here, the pastor of training. And uh, this morning we're going to continue in our series called You Are What You Love. And uh, this has been a really great conversation so far, diving into what shapes us, what shapes who we're becoming as people and followers of Jesus. So we're going to continue in that today. Well, when was the last time you were truly afraid? One of the last times for me was my sophomore year of college. It was the end of our semester, and my uh, big brother Travis was coming to get me uh, from school because the semester was ending. But I was particularly excited because he was bringing my dad's F-150, his truck. And at that point in my life, I was still a recovering redneck, so I was a little more excited than you just were to hear that. Uh, I loved driving my dad's truck, and we loaded it up, and it was the winter time. It was December, and it started to snow a little bit, and I knew that there was some bad weather in the forecast, but it, keep, it kept kind of going. But we're like, ah, oh, we got this. So we made our way home. It was about two and a half hour drive home, and we're listening probably to country or something like that. No offense to those who love country. And uh, I was driving, and as the snow increased on the roads, my speed did not decrease. I was a little distracted, having fun with my brother, and at one point, I decided to pull over in the left lane, and if you remember the winter, that thing that happens in a few months, uh, the left lane is usually not as good as the right lane, uh, and I pulled over there to pull uh, past the semi, and I was going like 70 miles an hour, and I made it just past the semi, and then I started to lose control, like fishtail, going like 70 miles an hour on a freeway, just fishtailing my brother. I will never forget this, just reaches over and grabs my arm, and he goes, here we go. <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, you're right. So we twisted around, and I, I kid you not, I still remember the, like, Santa Claus beard on the, the semi-driver and his face when we were looking straight at his face, and he's just like, oh my goodness, and I think I might have screamed or something, I'm not sure. And uh, it was just a surreal kind of slow motion moment and we uh, twisted off uh, into the ditch and kind of slid into the ditch. And there was those kind of moments of silence where both of us were like, what in the world just happened? So the snow hadn't quite piled up yet. We were able to just kick it into four-wheel drive and drive right out of the ditch. So we were safe and sound, but both of us were a little frazzled and shaking. And then about five minutes down the road, the real terror struck when I when it occurred to me that I was going to have to tell my dad about this. I was going to have to tell him that I put his new F-150 in the ditch, so it was a long, long ride home. And my brother and I went back and forth in our strategies. Mine was mostly, we don't need to tell him. And uh, his was like, no, we need to tell him. So we got home and I built up the courage. Uh, luckily, my dad was in a meeting, so I had a little more time to prep. Uh, I built up the courage and I told him, and I was like, man, I'm going to get reamed. Like, I was terrified in that moment. My dad did the uh, a most amazing thing I look back on now. He didn't say a word. He just embraced me. And he said, I'm so glad that you're okay. It was a cool moment with my dad. But as I reflect on that, uh, I noticed a lot of things about myself. But uh, one of the things I noticed is that Fear in that situation, fear of my dad, fear of the situation itself, 
had tremendous power to shape my relationship with my dad. It had tremendous power to shape who I was becoming in relationship to him. And fear has that power, doesn't it? Fear has that power to shape who we're becoming. If we, it's sort of a troubling fact if we look around our world today and realize that fear is pervasive. Fear has a grip on us on a, on, on a societal level and a personal level. I mean, just watching the news in the past few weeks, you can see the traces of fear in decision-making, the traces of fear. Look, our world is hemorrhaging with fear, and it looks really ugly and painful at points. Um, an author that I've been reading this week is Will, uh, William Willem. Wrote this little book, only 90 pages, super small if you like small books. Wrote this book, Fear of the Other. I would offer it to you as a resource uh, as we're in this political cycle and anxiety is raising in the conversation, I would recommend it to you. And I, he, he puts this idea of how fear can take over our decision making to words and I really like what he says here. He says this, when we allow ourselves to either misplace our fear or to fear excessively, or to be dominated by the avoidance of either evil rather than the pursuit of good, then we no longer are responding faithfully to the brokenness in the world around us. I just think that articulates so well the gridlock that we can get in when fear creeps into our lives and overcomes it. Now, it's important to point out that fear it is a part of the human experience. You know, I probably should fear going 70 miles an hour on a snowy road. I do now. And that's important. Should probably fear shooting fireworks from your hands this weekend. That would be a stupid thing. Don't do that. So fear is an important part of what it means to be human, but it gets troublesome and toxic when it controls and dominates our thinking, our emotions, and psyche. You can think about this on a daily level as well, not just a societal level. So think just past your past two weeks, would you say that they've been more anxious or peaceful? Have they been more anxious or peaceful? Has there been an outburst of anger or something like that? Behind anxiety, anger, and sadness, at the root of that is fear, typically. And when we pull back the veil of our lives and look deeply, I love the analogy Stephanie gave last week that uh, part of the series, uh, You Are What You Love, is a little bit like uh, digging through the center council of your car but your car is your life, digging to the deepest parts of you, what motivates you, what pushes you forward. And when we do that, we inevitably see fear. We've been having a, a couple conversations with our community members about these topics, and so we asked uh, some of you about fear, and there was one response that I, I really appreciated from a career counselor in our community and her observations uh, uh, with fear. She says this, I believe fear is one of the biggest motivators and it's laced in our decisions. I love that image, laced in our decisions, interactions and self-concept. We don't always see or realize fear, but when we peel back the layers, it's there, right there. So much of my work is listening, she says. I hear people's fears all the time, even, through, uh, even though they rarely name it. People don't cha change career paths even when they should because they fear the unknown. They fear failure, they fear loss of control, fear of disappoint, uh, disappointing someone. Friends often tell stories that are rooted in fear, not be, of not being enough, or fear of being too much. Fear of missing out, being overlooked, fear of losing someone or something, 
and the list could go on and on and on. A simple question I want to ask this morning, in this conversation about we are what we love, that our motivations and desires shape who we're becoming, what do we do with fear that we discover in ourselves? What do we do with our fear? The passage I want to look at this morning is 1 John 4, 9 through 19. And this is a passage where the Apostle John is speaking into situations of fear. He himself is in prison when he's writing this letter. And he's speaking to a church that's tired. A church that is or undergoing persecution. And there's tremendous fear in their midst. And it's starting to dominate their thinking and their actions. And he pens this uh, beautiful theological exposition on love. He responds to their, uh, their fears. They're wondering what to do with their fear about this long exhortation on love. So I want to read it. It's a little bit lengthier, and it's like theological poetry and thickness. So bear with me as we read it. We're going to come back to it, and the piece that I really want to zero in on is the end. So let's read this and see uh, what strikes us in it. This is 1 John 4, 9 through 19. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he lives in us. He has given us of his spirit. And he and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we can have confidence on the day of judgment in this world. We are like Jesus. And then John says this. Think of him speaking these words into their experience and your experience. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not quite yet made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. I love that passage of scripture. It's so rich with meaning. It says so many things in each word. And I love the Apostle John's approach here into situations of fear. Because in situations of fear, we're so tempted to fixate it on the thing that fears us most instead of look outside of ourselves. And this passage is really about John inviting to look, them to look outside themselves and first look to who God is and what he's done. And the first thing he says about God is God is always moving towards us. In the beginning verses, he talks about Jesus who came as a man to earth. You do, you do realize in the story of the gospel, we are the foreigner. We are the other. We are the alien. 
We are the one who God could fear. We're dangerous in some sense because of the mistakes that our world has made and the brokenness that exists, but God was not afraid of that. God moved towards us in Jesus, in the incarnation, to come and be with us, be Emmanuel. God always moves towards us. One of my favorite movies of all time is Good Will Hunting. Uh, this is a story about a genius who grows up in the foster care system and has a lot of pain and brokenness in his life. His name is Will, thus the good Will Hunting. Uh, and throughout the movie, he has this relationship with a therapist or a psychologist that's played by Robin Williams. And the movie reaches its climax in the, the psychiatrist's office. And there's a point at which uh, uh, Robin Williams' character, who's playing the psychologist, has his portfolio from foster care. His portfolio of all the pain he's experienced right there in his hand holding his brokenness. And he starts moving towards Will and he says, it's not your fault. Kind of a gesture of moving towards this love for Will. And Will has just broken his heart. The girl of his dreams has just left. And he starts swearing at him. But uh, Robin Williams' character keeps moving forward, keeps moving closer and closer and closer. And, and as you're watching it, you think Matt Damon, the guy who's playing Will, is just going to slug Robin Williams. And I think he even pushes him away at a point. But Robin Williams keeps moving closer and closer and towards him and towards him. And then he breaks down and just sobs. I think that's just a wonderful picture of God's love for us continually moving towards the world despite the fear that exists among us, the brokenness that we experience in our life. God always moves towards us. God's response to fear is to move towards us. The second thing God promises in this, this passage here that's said about God is that he gives us his presence. In, in verse 13, it talks about how he gives us his very spirit of himself. The Holy Spirit is there to be with us. I think what this communicates to me about the crippling uh, nature of fear is that God's communication to us about fear is not pull up your bootstraps and stop being afraid. God's communication to us is I want to be with you. I'm going to put my very spirit in you, and the spirit itself will empower you to face those fears, to tr be transformed by the spirit's presence in the midst of those fears and give you courage to step towards and step into them. That's a beautiful promise. Our God doesn't say, you know, you better stop being afraid. He says, I am here. I'm here to empower you in the midst of that, to move towards. The third thing that happens that we learn about God in this passage is that God moves us then towards each other and towards the other. God is always continually, if we listen to his spirit in our lives, moving us towards each other to experience love and to cast out fear. And he's always moving us towards the other, the foreigner, the widow, those who we're afraid of. Our God is always moving us towards those people in relationship because that's just who he is. God is always moving towards us. God gives us his presence. And God moves us towards each other and the other. One of the most fascinating parts of uh, early church history for me is the early Christians who stayed in Rome when they were having trouble with the plague. Everyone was terrified for their life for good reason, and the people who stayed were the Christians. And they cared for the widows and orphans that were sick there. And after the plague, everybody moved back in and said, what did you guys, what were you doing here? 
And they said we had to stay. God's love, when it dwells among us and is made perfect among us, when it's made complete and whole and good, and when we see God's face by the way we interact with each other and we move towards the other, people notice. And love casts out fear. So what does it look like for us to participate in this? What does this look like with the everyday anxiety that we have in our lives? I think the first step is awareness. The first step of how fear is gripping us. The first step is noticing how fear is gripping us. Uh, the same person who, the, who I read the quote from earlier gave this wonderful suggestion. This week, just take a moment to pause, maybe with a pen or just some time to reflect and look back on your week. Look back on what happened and observe if there was any fear driving you in those circumstances. Just ask the question, how was fear motivating you? Or how was fear influence, influencing your day? I did this just, just to try it out, and I figured I should try it out if I'm gonna tell you guys to do it. <laughs> I sent an email this week with an anxious tone because I thought something might not get done. I spent an unhealthy amount of time worrying about future stuff I had no control over. I spent time worrying about a family member's financial situation. I ruminated over decisions that were hard and that I had already made, wondering if I, that was the best decision possible. And as I look back on my life, I could come up with instance after instance after instance where there was no peace. There was anxiety because fear had a grip on me. And then I think what's suggested next is so important. What she suggested was not just observing on those times, but just ask why. Just ask why. Why are we afraid of the unknown? Why do we fear missing out? Why do we fear disappointing people? Why do we feel fear failure? Just asking why opens the invitation for God to come and be present and speak a different story into that situation. Be present with us, empower us, and do his work of transformation. It's a space when we ask why for God's love to come and cast out fear in our lives. Number two way that we can embody this in our life, I think, just as best summed up by saying surrender. The thing about fear is we're essentially powerless to overcome it on our own. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to come to that omission in relationship to fear. We're essentially powerless to transform ourselves out of being manipulated and distorted by fear. And so that's why it's so crucial that God offers his presence and we surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit to guide us to places we don't have courage to go to ourselves. And it's so crucial. This uh, past week, I had the privilege of sitting down and recording a podcast. We have a Mill City Training podcast uh, that runs concurrently with the Sermon Podcast to give you a little more insight on missional living in your own uh, everyday, ordinary life. In uh, this summer, I'm doing a mini-series called Mill City Loves, where I'm telling the story of people stepping into things that God loves. And I got to sit down with Restore Community, some of the leaders from Restore Community. And a theme in the midst of that, stories in the midst of that, uh, of seeking relationships with people experiencing homelessness, was, was fear. Fear of looking stupid, fear of asking the wrong questions, fear of not knowing what to do in conversation with someone who's experiencing homelessness. And they shared how that could be crippling. But what they did in the moment was just say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to do this because you called me to do this and I'm terrified to do it. Every single time, 
when they stepped in and submitted to God's leadership, to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, it created joy in relationship with others. Yeah, they said some stuff that was awkward, but they created a relationship where love exists and they're no longer fearful to do the simple things that they were so afraid to do before. When we step into those things, when we submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he empowers us to step into them. I would encourage you to join them in their packing uh, event next Sunday. If you've ever encountered someone on the side of the road who's signing and you don't know what to do, there's fear and anxiety in that moment. They've created an opportunity for you to step into that. I highly encourage you to do that. The last step of, of, of working this out in our own lives, I think, is practice. Like I said, God compels us to move towards each other and move towards the other. And as we follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, if we follow the leadership of God, he's always moving us towards each other and towards the other. One of the things that you can try in this realm this week, it's 4th of July, you may be around family and friends and an inevitable that maybe a political conversation will come up. And the anxiety in the room may rise to fever pitch. You may be tempted to uh, just go to the next conversation. I want you to try to just lean into that a little bit. Whatever the difference is in relationship to that, just simply ask like I invited you to ask of your own life earlier. Ask why. If someone says something that offends you or something that you don't agree with, Christians, we need to be the ones who step into those conversations, not withdraw from them. And just ask why and start with listening and see where submitting to the presence of the Holy Spirit for guidance in those conversations takes you when you ask that question. Another thing to try that I, I'm going to really try to work for this week, uh, I, I saw a TED Talk from Elizabeth Lesser, and she was talking about this very thing, being so afraid of the other, and she has a simple application. She just says, take the other to lunch. Whoever it is in relationship that produces anxiety and fear for you, just try to take the other to lunch. If, if you're a Republican and it's a Democrat, take the other to lunch. Create the space for love to cast out fear. Just something to try this week. See, it's in these moments where our society, where our communities, our neighborhoods are gripped by anxiety and fear that God's love can come out the most and shine in those spaces. God's love can cast out fear right in front of our eyes, right in front of our relationships, right in our own very lives, and we can be a testimony to who God is and what he's done. I'm gonna invite the band uh, to come up and I'm just gonna close with this prayer. Step back here so they have some space. Would you pray with me as we close? And go into this next song. God, we love you. God, we ask you to come and be present in the midst of our fears. God, this country's fears, our own fears, our neighborhood fears. God, we fear being unwanted and unworthy, being unloved. But you say there's grace and no discrimination for those who come to you. God, we fear being worthless and not having significance, but you say that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, created in Christ Jesus for good works and a purpose. We fear being harmed and controlled by others, but God, your kindness leads us to repentance. You say your yoke is easy and your burden is light. 
God, we're afraid of being alone and without support and community and guidance, but you say you will never leave us or forsake us. God is love. You are love. And your love is made complete among us. There is no fear in your love, God, but it drives out fear. In Jesus' name, amen.